My brethren and I wish to greet each one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. We wish to welcome you and hope that you feel the touch of his spirit, that you feel peace. And we trust that this night we will be fed from on high. By way of introduction, bringing our invocation tonight is priest Greg Bendorf from the Adrian Restoration Branch. And bringing our benediction is Brother Ron Wilson. He's a priest from the Atherton Branch. And behind me is Brother B.J. Schultz, and he's an elder from the Columbia Branch. So if you would, continue to remember him and my brethren as this service continues on. So I, I've been commuting the last three days from work. And I can tell you one thing's for certain. My, I was going a lot faster coming home than I was going the other way. I found myself rushing back out here to be with the saints, to be on this ground, to have the fellowship with each and every one of you. We weren't going to be out here. We weren't going to stay out here on the grounds, but the Lord had other plans, and we decided to stay. And the very first night, if you remember, our brother Tony counseled us to come up to higher ground at that moment, that night. Instead of building up throughout the week and making that journey at the end of the week, He told us we needed to achieve higher ground right away. So I want to ask you a question. How has that worked out for you? Are you satisfied? Do you feel like you've grown? Do you feel like you've grown in some way? Have you felt him walk with you? By way of scripture, I've taken my selection from section 65, which, by the way, Arthur Oakman counseled the priesthood to study so that when we offer our prayers, they are more fruitful. Hearken and lo, a voice as of one sent down from on high, who is mighty and powerful, whose going forth is unto the ends of the earth, yea, whose voice is unto men. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. The keys of the kingdom of God are committed unto men, unto man on the earth, and from thence shall the gospel roll forth unto the ends of the earth, as the stone which is cut out of the mountain without hands shall roll forth until it has filled the whole earth. Yea, a voice crying, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, prepare ye the supper of the Lamb. Make ready for the bridegroom. Pray unto the Lord. Call upon his holy name. Make known his wonderful works among the people. Call upon the Lord that his kingdom may go forth upon the earth, that the inhabitants thereof may receive it and be prepared for the days to come, in the which the Son of Man shall come down in heaven, clothed in the brightness of his glory, to meet the kingdom of God which is set up on the earth. Wherefore, 
May the kingdom of God go forth, that the kingdom of heaven may come, that thou, O God, may be glorified in heaven, so on earth, that the enemies may be subdued. For thine is the honor, power, and glory forever and ever. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. And would you please turn to hymn number three, Precious Name. evening and even this week. I'd ask that your spirit would continue to abide with us, that it would increase in measure, that you would help us to be able to cast out those distractions and those cares of the world that would wish to pull us away from being able to worship you, that we would be able to worship with a freedom that is only afforded by you, that you would loose the tongue of my brother B.J., And as he opens his mouth, that you would provide him those words that we need to hear, that you would open our ears and our minds and our hearts, that we would be able to be fed from on high, that we would truly be able to worship this evening, and that we would know that you are God. 
and your love and your care and concern for us. So please be with us in this hour as we desire to draw closer to you, that you would continue to bless us. And we thank you and praise you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The theme for our time together tonight is watch, for you know not at what hour your Lord doth come. And our scripture reading is quite lengthy, so I'm gonna, we're going to have an opportunity to practice that which we are counseled to do. So I'd like for you to try as best you can to not get lost in how long this scripture is, and present the idea that if you do that, you'll, you'll catch everything that is needful for the message tonight. Also, this scripture reading comes from a number of places. There are three sections from Isaiah. There's one from the book of Romans, one from the Doctrine and Covenants, and one from Jerem. And I've taken the liberty of, in a few of the places in Isaiah... Replacing the words, O Jerusalem, with O my church, so that we can apply the words that he gave to ourselves as God's people. For your reference, the first scripture is Isaiah 50, verse 7, Isaiah 52, 1 through 3, and 6 through 8, Isaiah 59, 19 through 20, Romans 13, 11 through 14. Doctrine and Covenants 65, 1D through E, and Jerem 1, 24 through 25. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, and that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord, and stay upon his God. Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion. Put on thy beautiful garments, O my church, the holy city, for henceforth there shall no more come into thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake thyself from the dust. Arise and sit down, O my church. Loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus saith the Lord, you have sold yourselves for naught. And ye shall be redeemed without money. Therefore my people shall know my name. Yea, in that day they shall know that I am he that doth speak. Behold, it is I. And then shall they say, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings unto them, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. Thy watchmen shall lift up the voice, with the voice together shall they sing, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. 
So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. And the Redeemer shall come unto Zion and unto them that turn from transgression in my church, saith the Lord. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to gratify the lust thereof. Pray unto the Lord, call upon his holy name, make known his wonderful works among the people. Call upon the Lord that his kingdom may go forth on the earth, that the inhabitants thereof may receive it, and be prepared for the days to come in which the Son of Man shall come down in heaven, clothed. In the brightness of his glory, to meet the kingdom of God which is set up on the earth. Wherefore the prophets and the priests and the teachers did labor diligently, exhorting with all long suffering the people to diligence, teaching the law of Moses and the intent for which it was given, persuading them to look forward unto the Messiah and believe in him to come as though he already was. May the Lord bless us tonight in the consideration of his word.
Thank you, sister. I appreciate you sharing your gift with us. And as you'll find in the things that are shared tonight, one of the more important aspects of watching and being ready for his return is offering the gifts that he's given to us in his service. Blessed are they that believe the Son of God returns soon. They live in hope. More blessed are they who rejoice in his presence daily. They live by faith. And if they persist with him, he will fill them with charity. And if they are filled with charity when he returns, they will be like him. For they will see him as he is, and they will be very comfortable in his presence. As I was reading tonight the scriptures, I was confronted by a thought that I had not had before. And that thought was how majestic it's going to be when he returns. It seems a strange thing that I would not have that thought before, but... And I wondered, of all the days that the Father created and looked forward to, how he feels about that day in relation to the day the Son of God was born. And I wondered which means more to the Father, that that day when the, the Son returns and meets His people who are waiting for him and earnestly awaiting his presence in glory. Or the day in which his son was born in a manger, cradled in the arms of Mary, knowing that the process for the accomplishment of the atonement was in place. And I... He hasn't answered that question for me yet, and I suppose if I know anything about God, I know that the fullness of joy is such that um, complete joy is complete joy, and one of those to him must be like the other. The foundation for what I have to share with you tonight comes from the 24th chapter of the book of Matthew. And that chapter contains a conversation between Jesus and his disciples in which they asked him four questions. And one of those questions will be ours to consider tonight, which was um, the question of what it would be like before he returned and, and in the days immediately preceding that glorious day. And there are four pieces of counsel that he gave to his people in that chapter. There's a lot of counsel, but four specific warnings and invitations that he brought forth that I believe are of utmost importance for our consideration if we want to be watching and to be ready when he returns. The first came early on, and it was this statement Be not overcome. And that statement came in the context of his description of what life was going to be like in the days before he would return. He described terrible things, 
wars and rumors of wars and lots of external things that are pretty scary. But the thing that was most troubling is that because iniquity would abound, the love of men would wax cold. And his counsel in, in, the, in light of that warning was, be not overcome. The Lord Jesus in the book of Luke, chapter 18, gave a parable. And the parable involved a widow woman who was being persecuted. And she, upon passing through this persecution, arrived at a decision to take her complaint to the judge and to ask the judge to avenge her for what she was going through, for for her enemy. And the judge acknowledged, I care nothing about this woman and I don't fear God. And so there was no redress for her. She went back and the problem continued. Her persecutor was relentless in his tormenting. And she went back to the judge and asked again, avenge me of my enemy. And he turned her away again. In the parable, we're not told how many times this process was repeated, but we are told that over and over the woman persisted until finally the judge, again acknowledging, though I fear not God or care for the woman, I will avenge her of her enemy so she stops troubling me. And Jesus contrasted this woman and her faith with that of the church at that time. Because the woman was in a situation of great challenge, and yet she persisted in her faith, not in the righteousness of the judge, but in the righteousness of Almighty God and in respect for the process that he had put in place in her life by which she might obtain redress. And even though that man was never going to hear her complaint of his own accord, She trusted that God would. And and in a way that was beyond the current possibilities for a solution, God brought about a solution for her. In our day, we face many challenges that would distract us and would discourage us, and most of all would change our attitude and spirit of love into something cold. Past feeling where we see a brother or sister and our compassion is gone. And that's the thing that if we are to be watching, that's the thing that's most important for us to not be overcome by. To allow the iniquity around us or the temptations that cause that iniquity to take root inside of us to make our love for him and for others cold. I'd like to share a testimony with you about the process of, of how this works, at least how the Lord has taught it in my life. Maybe two months ago, I wanted to to pray in the morning. I was making preparation for something. I don't even remember what it was now, but I knew I was was going to go pray. And we have in our town a 
a place called Shelter Gardens, and it's a botanical garden um, that they, they keep up, and it has a, a wrought iron fence around it. And I, I got up real early so I could get there close to sunrise time, and I was going to prepare by spending time with the Lord. And as I approached the south gate of this garden, um, the, the gate was closed. I parked my vehicle and I got out and I decided I was going to wait just outside the gate so that when they opened the gate, I could go in and pray. And as I approached that spot where I was going to pray, I heard some terrible sounds and it was the sound of a, a man screaming. And it was a blood-curdling scream the most awful sound I've heard a person make. And he would do this, and then it would pass, and then it would happen again, and and it was still dark enough that I couldn't see any people. And so I was, as you would expect, a little nervous about my situation, and um, I decided this wasn't the environment into which I wanted to come in order to make my preparation. And I decided I would turn around and go back to my car and find another spot. And and about the time I turned around and started walking, I was reminded of something that the Lord Jesus said. And it's in the 10th chapter of John, and, and he said, I am not as the hireling whose own the sheep are not, and when the wolf comes, they flee because they care not for the sheep. And what happened next, I'm not recommending to any of you that you do by any means, and I preface with the understanding that this was an experience I was having with the Lord in the Spirit, and the decision I made was arising out of that. I felt that Jesus would never turn from someone who was his sheep, and he would never turn in fear and run away to commune with his Father. And so I went back to this table on the other side of the gate and I still couldn't see the sound but I knew I was separated by the the fence and I began to pray and he's the sound is coming still and so I pray out loud and I, I prayed pretty loud and I was praying the things that God put in my heart and what he put in my heart was the passage from Isaiah when he says that He came to preach good tidings unto the meek, the opening of the prison for those that are bound, liberty to the captives. And this went on for a while, and and the sun started coming up, and I began to be able to see somewhat through the, the gate, and I saw that it was indeed just one man, and he was half dressed, and he was laying on the ground and just rolling all around, and he couldn't sit still. And at that point, when I could actually see him, things changed and the fear was replaced with compassion. And the next thing that happened as I continued praying was that someone from the inside of the garden approached in a a vehicle. And she had a walkie-talkie with her and she was coming to open this gate. And as she approached him, she stopped and turned around and went the other way and got on her walkie-talkie, and and I knew where this was leading, that some sort of law enforcement was going to arrive and and, um, get this man out of there. And so um, 
I recognized again that I had a decision I needed to make and either I would leave and leave him to his situation or somehow I might engage him to give him a, a, better, opportun- a better option than to be carried off by law enforcement. And so I, I walked up to the, the fence I looked out and I just said to him, I said, come. And there was a lull in his screaming and he looked up and then he looked back down and I said, come. And still nothing. And after the third time, he got up and he came up to the fence. And we were separated by maybe six feet now. And I looked at him and I said to him, there is a name that is more powerful than the enemy that binds you. And he dropped his head, and he said, what's that? And I said, you know the name. And I said, look at me. And he looked up, and he looked right in my face, and I could see just tears pouring down his eyes. I said, the name is Jesus Christ, and he came to give liberty to you. And I asked him if we could pray, and I I prayed for him. And about that time, I could hear people coming behind me, and and I told them, they're going to come, they're going to open this gate. I said, just walk through and come talk. And so some people came, and they they said, are you talking to this man? And I said, yes, I'm talking to the man. And they opened the gate, and he walked out, and I asked him if he was hungry, and we went, and we found a place, and we had food, and we talked for about an hour. And the change between a man who was completely uncontrollable. He couldn't control his body. He couldn't control his mouth. Completely in torment to one who was absolutely in his right mind enough that I was perfectly comfortable with him sitting in the front seat of my vehicle, just as comfortable as if my mother were sitting there beside me. I had absolutely no fear of this man. And we had a marvelous conversation. And he told me how his father had been addicted to drugs and had abused him and this is how he got here and he promised himself he would never end up like that and yet here he was. And we talked about the power of Christ to change people's lives and there are two stories of overcoming in this. There's my story in which the fear and the lack of concern for one of his sheep had to be overcome in order for that love to not wax cold. And there's his, his story of overcoming that is still ongoing. And Maurice is going to have to make a decision every day as to whether he's going to choose the, the intelligence that was with him in the hour we spent talking or the confusion and torment and chaos that was with him because of the drugs and all the other influence that had gained control over his life. So... The point of this story is not what I chose to do in that moment or what choice he's going to make. The point of the story is that the, the answer to both, for him and for me, lies in the statement that the name of Jesus Christ has power to liberate us from captivity. And the, it is his name that has power within us to cause us to be able to live on this earth without being overcome by the influences around us. No matter whether we live in the days before he's born or no matter we live in the days immediately before he returns, it is the same. 
Counsel number two. Treasure up my word that you be not deceived. In our day, we live in a day filled with deceptions. All around us, and those deceptions are so strong that it makes it very difficult to discern what is true and what is not. And Jesus said that this was going to be the case and and the enemy was going to have such power in that area as to deceive even the very elect. And his remedy for that deception for his elect was to treasure up my word. In the 25th chapter of Matthew, we find Jesus telling another parable. And this parable follows the parable of the ten virgins, and it concerns his return as well. And he describes three individuals. And he says that the master was was going away. And he had three servants. And to each servant, he gave a stewardship over a, a certain amount of money. He called talents. To one he gave five, another two, another one. And he left. And you know the story that the the two went and traded and, and gained more besides what they had. And the third took and he buried the talent. And when the Lord, the master, returned, he handed him that talent just as it was, preserved, pristine. He probably dusted off all the dust so that it was a coin that was just as beautiful as when the master left it. The other two came and had to show for their, the time that they were given the fruit of what they had done with that money. And the problem for the third individual is that He did not know the master. He thought that they all were given the same basic thing, maybe in different amounts, but it was still the same gift. And he thought that the money was more important to the master than the use that they made of the money. And in this, he was wrong. And when the master comes back, he takes what he had given him and gives it to those who had made use of their gift. And in this church, we have all been given at least one gift. We're told that in Scripture. To everyone has been given a gift. To someone, to some another. All of those gifts point to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the knowledge that he is the Son of God, and a knowledge that comes not by anything that we necessarily read or something that a man or a woman tells us. The knowledge comes because the Father reveals that truth to us by the power of the Holy Ghost, which lives in us. And if we will use our gifts, as our sister has done tonight, in order to manifest that truth to the world then the world will have a clear representation of who he is, and they won't have to guess. And if we are actively doing that, we will not be deceived. 
No matter how convincing an argument the world around us may make for our need to go here or go there or do this or do that, we can stand secure in the truth in which we are made free. How? Because we're his disciples and we continue in his word. Several years back, uh, we were at our usual church service in Columbia. At this time, we were still meeting in the Optimist Club. And a stranger walked into our Sunday school class, and he sat in the back. He was quiet, made a few comments during Sunday school, nothing necessarily remarkable. He stayed for the worship service, and he was respectful as anyone else. And afterwards, he entered into conversation with um, a few of us. The rest of the members left, and it was myself, another elder, and, and one other member whose name was Dan. And we talked with him for about 20 minutes, and he was very conversant on current events in the Restoration. At this time, the, the question of the, the plates that had been found in Brazil, and all these things were happening, and... That was right about the time that he had come, and he was talking about these things with firsthand knowledge. And he was talking about um, the way in which the church and the restoration was progressing. He knew a lot of things about Joseph Smith III, very well versed in the vocabulary of the restoration. And he began to speak with some flattering words about me and about um, the other elder, and he complimented us about the way we work together. It's it's. Peter Cornish, and he's a pretty dry, um, on-point uh, on guy who just says things just as they are, an outstanding teacher, very good presider, and he clued in on all of those gifts, all those ways in which Peter ministered that were essential for the way in which our branch operated. And he started talking about me and the way in which the Spirit works with me and among the people, and he spoke flatteringly about me and that too, and he said, you guys work together so well, and, and he said, you know... We're coming with a lot of people, and we're going to come to the center place, and don't worry, you guys are okay. And he gave us the, these comments that uh, we were in good shape, and we didn't need to be concerned. And as the conversation is building, I'm sure all three of us are trying to sort out what kind of person this is, and um, I'm sad to say it took us 20 minutes to arrive at a conclusion and the only way, finally, it became clear to us was about the time I started to, in my mind, think this is not right. Some of these things he's saying, probably it was when the flattery started that we clued in. And I, I asked him, I said, Would you, can we just, Ben, can we just pause and I, we'd just like to hear your testimony of Jesus Christ. Can you share with us who he is in your life? Because I remembered the word of God and I remember that it is written that no man call it Jesus the Christ, but by the power of the Holy Ghost. And I, I recognized in that moment that if, if he could not bear witness of Christ, then I knew immediately. It wouldn't just be, here's a guy that's confused that we need to nurture. It would be, this is someone who is an enemy actively trying to deceive. And he was speechless. And after he was speechless, he started rambling about something else. And, and I said, okay, you're not comfortable doing that. I said, let Will you, will you pray with us? Because I remember that it is written that he told us in, in the Book of Mormon that you must pray always 
and not feign. And he said that it's the spirit of the enemy that teaches a man not to pray. And I said, if he won't pray, then I have two witnesses that the man is evil and we need to be done with him. And he, he couldn't pray. He refused to enter into a period of prayer. And with those two things, those two criteria, we immediately recognized the source of the deception that was creeping in. And we were done. And he left. And I, I share this with you because if, if in the current time or in the days ahead there are things that are confusing there are, are, there's language that's presented to you about things that we should do or things that we should stay away from, and it draws you in, and you wonder, what is the source of this? If you will stick with those two criteria, he will ensure that you are not deceived. And I used to think it was hard, that I had to know all the scriptures to apply in just the right place, but it's not hard, it's simple. If we take those two, that foundation, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he commands us to pray unto the Father in his name, we won't be deceived, no matter what the world or the enemy throws at us. He says later, as counsel number three, Watch therefore, for you know not the hour, at what hour your Lord doth come. And not necessarily adding to that verse, but I will add the following, which Jesus also said, that is a part of watching. Watch and pray. And this was the parting counsel he gave to his disciples before he was arrested in the garden. They were falling asleep. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. So the danger in the first case was that of our love waxing cold because of iniquity. The danger in the second was that of deception. The danger danger in the third is temptation. And I'm sure you know that temptations are most convincing and influential in times when our flesh is weak. We're tired. We're hungry. We're suffering, sick, injured, in pain, whatever it may be. We're lonely, apart from our family, people that we love. Those are the moments we need to be extra diligent and vigilant to to watch and to pray. And what does it mean? What does it mean exactly to watch. In the third book of Nephi, chapter 9, we have a story that illustrates this as beautiful as any that I've found. This chapter discusses and, and tells the story of when the Lord Jesus, having, having come, and, and all the people, the, the 2,500 Nephites and Lamanites, they touched the wounds in his hands and his feet. They saw him. He taught them. He taught them the gospel, he ordained 12 ministers to, and gave them authority and power to baptize. And he administered the sacrament, and he told them, this is how I want you to do this. He told them who should take and who should not take. And he healed their sick, 
and he blessed their children. And then he said, I'm, I'm going back to the Father, but I'm going to meet you here tomorrow. He didn't specify the hour, but he did say, I'm coming back. And if you read that story again, you'll find that there were many among the people that labored all night so that people could come and they could be in the place where he was coming. So this coming wasn't a supernatural, clearly it was, but not in the sense of of he's everywhere and everybody gets to see him. He came to a physical place just like we are here tonight. And the people that were there, they got to touch his hands and feet. The people that weren't there, they missed out on that experience. And so their loved ones went and they said, you have to be here tomorrow. He's coming back. And they worked all night in order for that to be possible. They didn't wait until the last second to do that. They worked all night. And I would like to share with you the truth in this story that that night they were given to prepare is likened unto our lives. He has been saying that he comes quickly for a very long time. Many generations have come and gone living in the full expectation that that day would be in their lives. Many have had the expectation that Zion would be in their lives and their lives have come and gone. And we may think this to be somewhat discouraging and wonder, well, we live with this same expectation. Will it be in our lives? And the truth of that question is that it doesn't matter. Because from the beginning of time to the end of time, the coming of Jesus has been the focal point for every human. And there have been events and things that have been transpiring in all those generations that have dealt with his coming. And each person has been placed in that hour and in that generation for a purpose that is designed by heaven and is perfect based on the, the desires that that person has, the gifts that God has given them, and the way in which he intends to use them as co-workers with him in his endeavor. And he delights not that we as people do some great thing for him. He delights that we join him in fellowship in his endeavor. And when we do that, the glory is all his. The power of accomplishment is all his. So that we need not fear or wonder whether it can happen. And and our confidence level can so far exceed any boasting that any athlete or successful person may do. That it should be like day and night. You remember David. You come to me with sword and spear. I come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel, whom you have despised, defiled. Somebody will look that one up and we'll get the right word. This day, this day he will deliver you into my hand. There is nothing impossible for his people when they join with him. And the tasks that we have faced thus far are all part of what he is doing to bring about 
conditions by which people are ready for his return. If I look in my life and wonder what is a testimony of this idea, there's one thing I've learned after 46 years. And some of that time I've worked at a job, I've played sports, I've gone to school, I've prepared for tests. The hardest thing I've ever done is be a parent. And, you know, in all those other things, I I always knew, for the most part, when my test was going to be. And I knew it was going to be at such and such a time, and I could prepare and I could put the things in my mind that I needed so that in that hour I would be ready. If we had a, a game or a tournament, I knew it's coming Here's what I have to do to get ready. I'll be ready. And there was an hour appointed. Even when I go to work, I know, I walk in the door, I know at 8 o'clock, this is, it's happening. I need to come ready. People are going to ask me questions. I'm going to have to solve problems. have to be ready. When it comes to parenting, you don't get to choose when you're ready and when you're not ready. It's like that night for those Nephites and Lamanites. They labored all night. It wasn't they could say, oh, I'll work for an hour and then take a break, go back and work for an hour, and we'll get it. And you know, for any of you who have been with children, the, the, the opportunity for you to have the greatest influence comes when you are least prepared and excited about that opportunity. That's when the big questions come, and that's when the challenges come to what you're there to do in their lives. I remember two things. One came from my mother. When, when I was oh, maybe six or seven, behind our yard we had a, a track, but it was a, a track in a field. The, the field was not kept. The grass was tall. There was just like a little dirt bike trail. And there was a, a railroad that ran alongside this. And My mother decided to walk around this, and I was going to go out there and run around, and of course I got completely opposite her. I thought that was great, and I'm running around playing, and this man, strange man, starts walking on these train tracks, and he's heading in my direction. And and my mother, who doesn't usually run anywhere, I saw her turn and come directly across that grass and right to me immediately. Because there was something in her that said, the most important thing in my life right now is this my son. And she was immediately there. She didn't have to stop and think, wow, I'm going to get ticks on my legs or this guy probably isn't a danger. She didn't have to think about it. She she responded based on an internal truth that was built into who she is. And that's what it must be for us if we are going to be ready for the Lord Jesus. If we expect that we're going to have some time to sort of think about our lives, and we're going to be able to present them in order for him and say, when he comes, the last few days I've, I've done pretty well. I've been kind to my wife. I've d- treated my children well. I've been honest. It's not going to be like that, right? He says, as, as a thief in the night, if the good man of the house had been watching, he would have known. He would have known and he would have been ready. Those men and women who labored all night to be ready when Jesus returned, they are an example for us. Like that widow, like the widow's example of persistence, they are an example of faith. Imagine people 
could have told them, oh, it'll be in the evening when he comes, or, you know, maybe Jesus didn't mean he's coming back tomorrow as in a day, maybe he meant in the future. No, they labored all night. And so can we. And if we do, when he comes... The fourth piece of counsel, feed my sheep. He speaks this message in the context of servants that begin to say that the Lord delays his coming. And they begin to beat the servants and treat them badly. If we are actively engaged in feeding his sheep, we become like Peter. And our expression of love for the master becomes our willingness to serve his sheep, those that he loves. And we are able to do that because of the strength he gives us even when we're tired, even when maybe situations around us are not perfect not clear. Last week at mountain camp, this is two weeks ago, there was one of the staff who brought marvelous ministry and multiple campers shared with me the things that they had received from this particular staff member and it came in an hour when his body was not doing what he would want it to do and was sick didn't have much of a voice and all these things were going on and yet the ministry did not suffer one bit in fact I imagine that the ministry was all the richer for the recognition on his part of his weakness and the strength of God to provide if any ministry was going to happen And a recognition on the part of the people who receive ministry that look what God is doing in this person's life. So whether you are in perfect form now or whether you there are things that are not working right in your body or in your mind, the Lord can use even that as he uses all things to work together for good. So those that love him and are called according to his purpose. In the Doctrine and Covenants, section 98, one of the most condemning stories is given about the church in the last days and how she does in fulfilling the commandment of the Father. And you know the parable in which there was a vineyard and the master of the vineyard gave certain responsibilities to his servants. And he was going to leave, much like with the the talents, he was going to leave. He was going to leave his precious vineyard in the charge of these servants. And he said, make sure that you build a tower. And if you build that tower, you'll be able to go up on the tower and watch over my vineyard and make sure that nothing happens to it. And he left, and the servants began to the work of building this tower, and they, they began to question the wisdom 
of the master's council to build the tower. And they said, this is a time of peace. Why do we need this tower? We can use the energy and resources to do something better. And as they began this process, they began to fight with one another and contend over what the best course of action was. And because of their slothfulness and their failure to build the tower, the enemy came and tore down the vineyard. They didn't see it coming. They were deceived. Their love had waxed cold. They hadn't treasured up his word. They had maybe heard it, but it didn't make it into their hearts to the point of obedience. They failed to watch. They failed to pray. They failed to feed his sheep or to nourish the vines that needed so much their protection. When I think about the Lord Jesus, one of the things that I've thought about over the years, examining his life and asking to to see more of his life by the work of the Good Spirit, one thing has stood out to me. What is the source of his strength? I mean, he's better than any superhero. His superpowers are unlimited, and yet he uses them always with integrity. And his integrity is based on one common theme. I came down from heaven to do the will of my Father, because my Father sent me. And my Father sent me, not that I might turn stones into bread and feed myself, not that I might be exalted on this temple and cast down and and have everyone wonder at my glory, My Father sent me that I might be lifted up upon the cross. That as I have been lifted up by men, even so should men be lifted up by the Father. To stand before me, to be judged of their works. Not to stand before the enemy who's going to accuse them. Not to stand before the law that will condemn them. To stand before me. The same one who stooped down beside the woman who was caught in adultery and rode in the sand. And he crossed out her sin And he overcame the death by which her accusers sought to punish her. And he rose up and he said, where are your accusers? No man condemned you. No man, Lord, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And he came to offer everlasting life. Because he is the way and the truth and the life. And so when I I ponder... How could you be true to that in every circumstance? And how is it that your answers were always right on and your actions in response to stressful situations was always just right? And if we look at him, the thing that will stand out to me is going to be his hands. And the marks that are there in which I'm going to find my name going to find your name. Your name will be there, Macy. Joel, your name will be there. Chuck, Sister Karen, each one of our names will be there in his hands. And we're going to find written there not only our names, but also the evidence of his love for his Father and his willingness to be true to the agreement that he made with his Father in the beginning. I will go. And the glory, the honor will be thine. Preserving our agency so that we might choose to follow him out of love 
and devotion rather than out of fear or out of having no other option. So the source of his strength is in his hands. There you'll find your name. There you'll find the fulfillment of the will of the Father. And if we go forth in and follow him as his disciples, that same strength will be in our hands. The same light will shine in our minds and our bodies. Because like him, our eye will be single to the glory of the Father. And we're promised that if our eye is single to the glory of the Father, our bodies will be filled with light. And there will be no darkness in us. No darkness in us. And that body that's filled with light comprehends all things. And if, if you read again in, in section 98 of the Doctrine and Covenants, just past the part where he talks about how he, he wants his people to gather together and stand in holy places. He describes four conditions of what it's going to be like when he's reigning on earth. The first condition is that all the enmity among men and animals will pass away. And it's remarkable that that is in direct contrast to the first piece of counsel that he gave, that that be not overcome and let not that fear and that, that love of men wax cold. So there's no enmity. And enmity is that deep hatred that people feel one for another. It's what drives wars. It's what drives contentions. It's what drives all the, the bitterness that's in hell or on earth. There's no more enmity. The second condition is that whatever a man asks, he will receive. Well, that's a promise that he's given that can begin even now, just like the first one can. And if you treasure up his word then you won't be deceived by that promise into asking for something selfishly. Because you'll ask according to the will of the Father, just like Nephi did, who was given the power of heaven. The third is that Satan will have no power to tempt people on earth. And we know that in those thousand years, that's going to be what it's like. Well, that can happen for the followers of Christ now. If we have the Holy Ghost. Because we're promised that whosoever is born of God doth not continue in sin. And if you reflect upon your own life, you'll remember that those moments in which the Holy Spirit was active in you and you were aware of its presence, there wasn't any desire to sin. And Satan's temptation has no power over you in that moment. And our challenge is to take that moment and have it be transformed from him from a moment like this into who we are. The fourth condition is that there's no death. Now that one we have to live with for a while longer until he comes to reign whose right it is to reign and that power of death is abolished. But the sting of death can be swallowed up in the hope of Christ so that even though we mourn the loss of those we love, we have expectation and hope not only of their eternal reward but of being with them again. It's been a blessing for me to be here and share with you. I thank you for your preparation. You know, when my son and I walked up, we had the opportunity to be be here a little early and be the first ones to walk into this tabernacle. And I can tell you, it's a beautiful spirit here. It was 
was quiet. And, and if you could have taken that song, that the hymn that we sang, a calm and gentle, quiet reigns tonight, and, and turn it into actual experience, that, that was it. I thank you, and I pray that the Lord will bless you with faith to persist with him in your repentance. Pray that he will bless you with hope to abound in the works that he's gave us, given us to do in these last days to bring about his kingdom on the earth. And most of all, I pray for you, but I recognize that this is not something that God can give you because of my prayer. He can only give it to you because of your prayer, and that is for charity. That his love may dwell in you richly, that when that day comes, and it will come, and, and it will come in response to the prayers of his people. So that though we know not the day or the hour, we know the context. We know that there will be people, his people praying, Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens, that thou wouldst come down, and the mountains might flow down at your presence. That's when he comes again. And so it is to that end that I would commend your walk in faith and hope and charity with the blessing of an almighty God who loves each one of us dearly. Amen. Thank you, Brother BJ, for sharing tonight. I also want to thank Jackie, Suzanne. Looking for Suzanne. And also Miley for your ministry tonight. And brothers and sisters, you've heard the gospel. You've heard the gospel spoken this night. And I know that the Lord has confirmed to me on several occasions through this message we have heard, and I hope that is the case with you. And so as a closing hymn, we will sing number 82. Israel, Israel, God is calling. But I'd also like for you to turn over to hymn number 97. America, put your finger in that page. After the singing of this hymn number 82... We will have our benediction by Brother Ron. And after that, we will have a seat, and Eric will come up and share some announcements. And after that, he will instruct you to move over by the wall. And once we get over by the wall, I would ask you to sing the first hymn of verse 97, at which two of our veterans will proceed to do the flag retreat for us this night. Thank you for being here, and I hope and pray that God has blessed you through this week, and may the Lord bless each one of you after we head home tomorrow, and may you carry that light, and may you take opportunity with those lost sheep to share the light of Christ with them.
Bow with me, please. God, the eternal Father, my brother shared with us this night, and many of those uh, things that he spoke about is what uh, were in the adult classes this day, and I'm sure a lot of those uh, things were in the uh, younger people's classes also. And the main thing is light, for God is light. And as long as we keep that in our minds, we're always reading about light, there's nothing to fear. There is no darkness that can overcome light. And fear and all the things that we studied about each day, O oh Lord, just vanishes from our lives. Because there is no one stronger than our God. He can overcome anything and anyone. And this week has been special, Father. We have come here, we've spent the week. All these families, and they bring these little ones, they might understand what light is. And as they come here and they build that foundation to learn of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and those things that are implemented in their minds as they grow older, Father. They build that foundation. Even the shows in our scriptures the foundation of how the church is built. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. And the steps and the door clear up to the steeple, O oh Lord, tell how his restoration is built. And I thank you, O Lord, for these families that come here to bring these young ones here. Because they will remember each time. And they will come here cheerfully because they want to see their their family, their family in Christ. The ones that they play with, O Lord, and have relationships with the young people and even the elders, Father. We are one big family. We are a small nucleus considered the side of the world. But if we work and do the duty of our brother Jesus Christ and we try to put everything in our lives as those thoughts that he had, everything he did was in respect to the Father. We can be that light on the hill. So just bless us and keep us Help us stay strong and fight the good fight until our days are over, Father. And so I 